Good morning. How many of you that took you back about 20 years? Right? I was thinking about that because that was, that was my teenage years, right? Um, and then I was thinking how many parents that took back, right? Oh, man, they're turning that stinking Nintendo on again. But uh, uh, great to see you this morning. You know, I'm sure all of you know what it's like to have a device, a phone, a computer, an iPad, and um, <clears throat> it lock up or freeze up right? Everybody's experienced that, correct? The frustration of that, right? Maybe you're right in the middle of a paper, or you're right in the middle of an email, or something important, and all of a sudden it just, it just locks up. It freezes up. Uh, so often that's because uh, maybe we have too many things going on on that device, right? Too many apps are open, um, uh, or you just got too many uh, windows if you're, you know, uh, PC person, which I now have crossed over to the evil empire, and I use all Macs, so uh, that was something five years ago I didn't see happening, but um, who, whatever you are, most of the time it's because you got too much stuff going on, and the processor's just like, all right, stop, I can't handle anymore, and it, it locks up, or maybe sometimes with my cell phone, um, and they've told me this at the store, that you got to turn that thing off every couple days, you have to turn it off. Even if it's just for a few minutes, you have to let it power down because it just, it, it'll freeze up. It'll lock up on you. Ever had that happen? And, um, <clears throat> and what's so great about all this, though, is as soon as it freezes up, as soon as it locks up, I don't necessarily have to know how to figure out how to, to unfreeze that thing or how to, what steps to maybe to kind of backtrack. I don't. It's kind of like when I used to play video games and like you got into a point where you didn't really like how the game was going. You just reach over there and you push reset, right? And, and that's just, a, it's such a great thing because man, I don't know how to get out of this. It's gonna take me half a day and the thing's just locked up. All I gotta do is just push the power button, push the reset button. And that's kind of what we wanna land on for the next five weeks because I believe that scripture uh, one of the overarching themes of Scripture is that God is a God because He is gracious and uh, He is long-suffering, He's merciful, He's loving. Um, he gets who we are and He is absolutely always in favor of us resetting if we need to. You look through all the Old Testament with His people, the children of Israel, Man, they had it so good. They had everything going for them. They made some bad choices. He would, uh, he would allow them to uh, face judgment. They would cry out. And guess what he would do? Push the reset button. Let's start over. That's the kind of God that we have. Um, the language right now all around us is not reset. It's resolution, right? Um, how many of you make New Year's resolutions? That's what I thought. So I always used to think this was like something everybody did. 
And as I grew older, I realized, yeah, that's not, they talk about this stuff and you can read about it and, you know, you'll pop onto Yahoo today or whatever and you'll, sure enough, there'll be a link to top resolutions of the year. And just like you, like, how many was it? Ten people in here? Maybe some of the rest of you are too embarrassed to raise your hand. But, um, yeah, it's not as big a thing as we, as we think it is. But, you know what? I, I do think there is some value to doing self-assessment. And the way that we mark our time and our calendars, absolutely, as we're coming down and we're about ready to change the number on a year and all that means for us and new, you know, all that, all that means, all the different things. I do think there's some value in, okay, where am I at? What happened? Where am I going? What's going good? What's going poorly? I, I don't disagree with the resolution type thing. I think probably for some of us, really, we could say this. My resolution for 2018 is to accomplish all the goals I set in 2017, which I should have done in 2016 because I planned on them in 2015. Probably it goes like this. And I think that a lot of resolutions for people look a little bit like this. This DirecTV commercial. DirecTV has been rated number one in customer satisfaction over cable for 17 years running. But some people still like cable, just like some people like banging their head on a low ceiling, drinking spoiled milk, camping in poison ivy, getting a paper cut, and having their arm trapped in a vending machine. But for everyone else, there's DirecTV. I don't have DirecTV, so I'm not getting paid for that at all. But resolutions sometimes are like that. We know we should, but it's, it's just, uh, it's like banging your head against the, it's the wall. But you know what? Um, thinking about what I, I wanted to talk about as we begin a new year, I think there is a valid scriptural emphasis on the idea of reset. You are not unlike me and we are not unlike the rest of the world. Where there absolutely comes point, points, there come, there come points in our lives where we realize, you know what, maybe this area of my life, it's just kind of locked up. It's kind of frozen. It's not going anywhere. Maybe you would say, Chip, what are you talking about? Parts of my life. My whole life feels that way. And I would say that there is this idea of a God who desires for us not to stay locked up and frozen but to be able to push the reset button with our life, maybe an area of our life. And so we want to we do that. Now, I want to I just remind you of one thing that I think is incredibly value in this dis- valuable in this discussion for the next few weeks. I would say this. Reset comes with help from outside of me. Reset comes from help outside of me. You know, just like that machine, um, it's just going to sit there locked up and frozen. It's not going to help itself. I've got to push the reset button for it to do it. And I'm not trying to, you know, we're not machines. But in the same way, in our lives, for reset to really happen, it is something outside of ourselves that makes it happen. You see, the language of resolution that's all around us today in our culture is you're going to fix yourself, right? You got to figure out what's wrong with you and what you want to have changed, 
Which, by the way, first service, I put this out there. I'll put this out there for you guys. Um, because I do believe there's value in self-assessment and goals and stuff like that. And as I've been winding down this year, I've been thinking there's something that I know I need to do, and I just haven't done it yet, right? Because um, human behavior is the hardest thing to do and change in, in the world world. It is. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to put myself on the block for everybody. So this is going to happen this year because 400-something people are going to be thinking about it along with me. So I need to lose 15 pounds. All right? So guess what? I'm going to lose 15 pounds, and you're going to watch me do it. And you're going to keep me accountable to it. And every time I stand up here every Sunday, somebody here is going to be thinking, I wonder how many pounds he's lost. And I'm going to be sitting there looking at you thinking somebody's thinking, how many pounds has he lost? Right? There's some value in that. And that's, that's the value of community, actually. Um, so, hey, we're, we're on it together, right? This time next year, I will, can I even say my weight? Is that even appropriate in the pool? I don't know. I'll be 15 pounds lighter, all right? Because that's what we're going to do this year because there is some value in that. But in this reset, uh, I think I wanted to start a land in this particular area to start the year or to start what you'll start your year next year. It, Proverbs 4 and 23 says this. Above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Why? Because everything you do flows from your heart. Scriptures teach that our heart is the most important thing. Correct? Not actually the organ that's pumping. You know what I mean? It's our spirit, our, our, inner, our inner man, so to speak, is how the scriptures refer to our heart. And it says that out of the heart, everything else flows. The heart needs to be made sure it's reset. It can't be locked up and frozen, right? The heart needs to be healthy. It needs to be right. And so I thought we're doing a reset series. Let's start with the heart. Everything else flows out of it. And what's amazing is Jesus shares this story or this what we call a parable about how he understands and sees our hearts and the reality of our hearts, what, what's going on in it. He shares this story. And I want to share that with you this morning because I want us to, to grab a hold of, maybe it's just good to, to think reset at the beginning of the year. Or maybe your life needs a reset or areas, but let's start right at the heart. Let's remember that the heart of the matter is the heart. And what does, what does the scriptures tell us about our heart? I think it's amazing. I love this parable because it gives me insight. This is how God, looking down, sees all of us. He sees our hearts in this way. And Jesus shared that story in a parable. And it's in Matthew chapter 13, uh, beginning with verse 1. If you, it's on the screens, you have your Bibles, you want to read along. This is what he says. The same day Jesus went out of the house, sat by the lake, Large crowds gathered around him, and he got into a boat, and he sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables, so like seven parables in a row. This was like he started doing this kind of teaching right now. This is the first one. 
It's the heart he's going to talk about. That's priority here. He starts, and so he tells them this story. Okay? Think about this story. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, obviously you understand agricultural community, big deal then, first century uh, Israel, um, they, they survived through agriculture. And the farmer would go out, and it's not 12-row planters then, it's not the sophisticated equipment we have now, it was just a man walking through a field. Probably had a bag on that would go around and come down here, you know, in a pouch he could pull out the seed out of his hand. There was no, those spreader things now. It was just his hand. And right, he scattered the seed. It's the word for, it's the word broadcast, like radio broadcast, to send it out. And he would, you've ever done that with your grass seed, right? Um, you just throw it out there. You just kind of got to develop a technique, right? And you, he says he goes out and he is starting to, to plant his field. He's going to sow this seed into the field. And he said, as he was, he said that some of the seed that he was sowing fell on the pathway. Now again, we're not talking big equipment and not a few rows. We're talking a lot of pathways in a field. It's the only way you could get up and down, right, to plant. And so they would pick a a path. They would just use it, and it would become very packed down. Hot, arid climate would increase that. And in fact, I mean, they'd, they'd say, and if you've been there, it's, it's, um, it's really arid, obviously. And, and um, it said the ground would become just almost like concrete, really packed down where these people walk, the farmer walk, other people might walk. And, and so as he's sowing, he's broadcasting the seed, some falls on that pathway, right? Maybe the wind picks up right when he goes to throw it, and some blows onto the pathway or, you know, you're not perfect with that. It's kind of an imperfect method. And he said that it fell on the pathway and that as it laid there, birds came and ate it up. He said other seed fell on rocky places where there wasn't much soil. So the idea is in that, in that area that, uh, that he's talking about, um, there, were, there were strains of limestone rock bed that would run through different areas of the country. And a farmer, it wasn't there were rocks in the field, he would have cleared those out. But inevitably, some of, some of them would have fields that underneath, even up to, it would get, you know, maybe just a couple inches of topsoil, there would be just a, a limestone rock bed. He couldn't get it out. He wasn't able to, it was big enough that he couldn't chip it out or remove it. And he said that inevitably as he's sowing seeds, some would fall into this soil where there was a couple inches of topsoil. Now there was a lot of dew in that country. It was great fertile soil. Man, that seed would go right in. It would start to take root, but then it would hit the rock. And it couldn't go any deeper. So it would just, the energy of it, instead of going, plants you know, go down and they, their energy kind of goes both ways, it just would spring up. And actually, those were the plants that looked the best at the beginning. Because man, they don't got, all the energy is now going up and it's producing the plant. But honestly, it's not taking root. It's not, it's not, it's not going deep. 
And he says what happens is it, spring, it springs up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Right? So sun hits it. It's taking this strain, this you know, stress from the sun. It needs something to draw from to keep it strong, to keep it growing. Normally the roots would supply those nutrients up into the plant. This one does, it can't do it. There's no root. So the sun just burns it out and it dies. He said there's other seed that fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plant. Um, again, a good farmer he would have worked the ground, but we all know that as good, well as you work the ground, weeds just naturally thrive in soil like this. And as soon as you planted that seed, and that ground begins to produce, inevitably there's, there would be weeds that would grow up. And the weeds would grow up strong and fast and they would grab the, other, the nutrients from the soil that that seed needed they would steal from it. Or they would grow up and they would shade the plant that needed maybe some sun. And inevitably, in that kind of soil, the seed would be choked out. So there was only weeds remaining. <laughs> I remember um, when we moved to Mackey, um, we had a neighbor that was bound and determined that we were going to garden. Right? And so we, we liked the idea of gardening. I thought, that's great. We'll do it. Kind of like, you know, well, they decided to make our garden for us. Man, they made this whole plot. Like, it was huge. We're first-time gardeners, right, and all that. And so I'm going to tell you what. Keeping up with all those weeds was miserable. And then you leave on vacation, you come back, and literally, I mean, if you didn't tend to it, right, the weeds would absolutely choke everything up, make that place a mess. And he says this is what happens in soil where weeds are prevalent. He says this, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160, 30 times what was sown. So he's saying, listen, but there was soil that when the seed fell, it was good soil and it actually produced a, can I use this word? It's kind of an old school word, bountiful Bountiful harvest. Abundant. I mean, it's like, wow, look at those plants. We're going to eat good for a while kind of harvest. And Jesus tells this little story about soil and a farmer and seed. And he says, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, listen up. What I'm telling you is really important. Did you catch that? You've had your parents say that, right? What I'm about to tell you, you need to really latch on to, right? That's what he's saying. It's kind of one of those moments. Listen to what I'm telling you. Now, his disciples ask him, what, what are you doing? Why are you telling these? What, 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 what's the story? What are these stories? And Jesus, for about eight verses, explains to them the value of parables, the idea that those who were going to believe, those who would believe, that as they believed in him, these stories would come and it would just open up their world to more about God. 
and that those who receive, those who believe, those who have, would get more. It's kind of this idea the scripture talks about when you walk in the light of God, God gives you more light. As you move closer to him, as you walk with him longer, the more you learn about his way and his will, and it just opens your world up. And he says these parables, that's gonna be a way to open their world to this new kingdom, this new kingdom of who I am, what I'm about. I'm gonna save people. I'm gonna redeem people, but then I'm gonna show them how they can have an abundant, blessed kingdom life. And these parables are gonna, it's, it's gonna create a way for them to see and understand and grow in truth and knowledge. And they're just gonna take off. He says, by the same token, people who refuse to believe in me, these parables are gonna be foolish to them. They're actually going to scoff at, at what I'm saying and they're actually going to grow darker in their understanding of who I am. Because they refuse to believe, they are going to become more dark in their mind and their thinking about who I am. And so he kind of takes a detour with his disciples. Hey, this is how I'm gonna communicate in different ways. And then he comes back. What's cool about this parable today is he explains this parable. So this is easy for me, right? A lot of parables he didn't bother to explain. And so I'm not up here trying to try to determine some of, you know, because there's like maybe four different opinions about this or that. He makes it very clear what he's talking about. Remember, the issue is the heart, right? And so Luke also wrote about this parable. And Luke shares a, a, a valid part of this, an important part of this. Luke says that, as Jesus was explaining this, he says, listen, I want you to understand, I told you that little story about a farmer, four different types of soil, and the seed. He said, what I'm trying to explain to you is the seed is the word of God. It's the word of God. The sower, obviously, is the Lord himself. At this point, we become sowers as we follow him, but he is the primary sower. He's this... He's the one who's the farmer. But the seed is the word of God. And the soils are the heart of man. Above all else, guard your heart. Everything flows out of it. The scriptures are about fixing our heart. And Jesus shows us how he perceives and sees the conditions of our heart through these soils. He's the sower. The word of God is the seed. The soil is my heart. And this is what he explains. He says, listen to what this parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes, that Satan, all right? Jesus believed in Satan. And because Jesus believed, he is real. All right? I know we kind of make him too, you know, red, pitchfork, kind of cartoonish Halloween character. Ooh. It's real, man. Real stuff. The scriptures tell us we should the one who can who can uh, who is dangerous who can who can destroy our soul so jesus says the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart 
This is the seed sown along the path. He said that some hearts are like that heart, that soil that is hardened down, the wayside soil. It is calloused. And so with all the other scriptural references to this, we recognize that Jesus is talking about a heart that is hardened and calloused. And it is so hardened and calloused, it cannot receive the word of God. And with all that scripture talks about with how this happens, we understand that a hardened, calloused heart becomes that way because of sinful practices, sinful actions, sinful lifestyles. That's what hardens our heart. Or I would call it a a self-centered heart. A life that is headlong about them. Their deal, their plans, their way, their opinion, their this and that. And they have become set on themselves. And that produces sinful behaviors. Because at the essence of what sin is, it's I, right? Self-autonomy self-governing and out of that becomes a selfish or a sinful a selfish sinful lifestyle and that causes the heart to be hardened calloused and so the word of God is 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 proclaimed to a person like that and literally it has no way to sink into their heart and life to their thinking, because they're consumed with their sinful behaviors. And it sits on their heart, and yet it's only a matter of time that that the Lord reveals to us, this is amazing stuff to see how things work, that the enemy snatches it up, causes them to forget, takes it away from their mind. And... Remember, all of us, all of us fit in one of these categories. This is God's diagnosis of our heart. And maybe today I'm talking to someone who is, who is at that point. If you were to be honest with me, you say, listen, I'm so consumed with me, what I'm doing. I don't think about God's will, God's way, God's plan, God's purpose. I'm just into me. I would say you put yourself in a position where the word of God, which is truly the only hope we have to change our lives. Go ahead, try to fix it yourself. Good luck with that. Guess what you're gonna do? You're gonna make it worse because I've been there. The harder I tried to fix myself, the worse I got and the worse it got. The thing I need is something outside of me and it's the words of God, the living, breathing Word of God that has the power to transform our lives. And yet, because of sinful behavior, it just can't come in. It can't can't sink in. You see, what's incompatible with the Word of God is a sinful lifestyle. A life that's dominated by sin. That's enslaved to sin. The Word will not live in that kind of heart. And Jesus said that some people are like that. He said that, he said, he goes on and he says that the seed falling on rocky ground 
refers to someone who hears the word and at once they receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. Is that me? It's gotta be me. No one's coughing that loud, right? And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. He said there are people that, man, they get excited about, you mean Jesus will forgive me? Jesus will, will take my sin away? Um, you know, man, Jesus is going to have great things for me, and, and my life's going to be, you know, and, and it's, it's kind of a, it's what I call an impulsive heart. It, it carries with it this idea of someone who lives kind of based on their emotions. Someone who, who, uh, who doesn't have depth to them. That as soon as things start to get hard, or as soon as things don't go quite their way, or maybe that guy up front, I don't really care for him. You know, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm out, right? Or it says when things come because of the word, because of the way you're living, because you are living different than the world around you and, and that causes maybe some hardship or because you did the right thing instead of the easy thing, the convenient thing, you suffered a little bit for it, but it was the right thing to do. And all of a sudden the pressure comes in and things aren't as easy. Uh, he said there's, there's people that because they're, 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 their commitment's shallow, the word is only went in but there's something deep within them that is not right. There, there's no depth to these people. They're kind of superficial. He said as soon as it happens, they wither and die. They're gone. They walk away. Impulsive. People like this, are they're like wildly inconsistent. They're, they're, they're they're hot, then they're cold. They're excited, and then they're distraught. They're, they're, they're all over the place spiritually. And he said it's because there's this layer of rock in their, their heart, so to speak, that, that I can't ever get deep with them. They never will just make a complete surrender to me and say, you know what? I'm all in. I want to be a Jesus follower. I want, I, want, I want what this life is about. You know, I want to stop here because I've thought about this parable a lot. And I realize that when you read this parable, it can speak to different groups of people. This can speak to me as a preacher. This parable can help me understand as a sower of seed. This, this parable can speak to the church sometimes in the... Um, in this the way we understand how the gospel is going to go forth, okay? But I absolutely, and I've consulted any number of, you know, wise guys about this. This absolutely has a personal element to it. It is speaking, Jesus was speaking to each one of us. Where are you at? What does your heart look like? But I was reminded as I was reading this, so man, if I find myself, I'm just captured by my sin, which I did at one time in my life. Am I doomed? Can that change? Or maybe someone is saying, you know, I'm just inconsistent. I'm, I, I'm, you know, I'm just inconsistent with the Lord. Am I doomed? And I was reminded of, of just one of many things that God says to us. It's in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. 
He's talking to the people of Israel, but actually this is prophetic into how God is going to deal with all mankind. And he says this, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart, from, I will remove from you your heart of what? Stone. And I will give you a heart of flesh. A little bit different picture, same idea. People whose hearts are hardened, people whose hearts are impulsive, they're shallow, God promises to come into their life and rework that soil. To He himself replaces the stone. He himself breaks up. I remember in uh, it's, uh, one of the Old Testament uh, books where he talks about breaking up the, the hardened grounds of our life, of our heart. The, the, the fallow ground. He'll plow through. He promises, if you find yourself in this position today, which is gonna be very difficult, you're never going to experience what God has for you. You're never going to, because the word of God cannot live in your heart because of sin or, or just being superficial, um, not really making an all-in commitment, trying the one foot in, one foot out type stuff or, or whatever. He's saying, listen, I can do something about that. Remember, reset comes from help outside of me. And he promises grace through the power of his Holy Spirit to change those hearts. The third one is, is he says this, the seed falling, and this is probably most relevant for us today if we need to think about our heart. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word making it unfruitful. Again, back to his original, the weeds in the soil. The seed grows up, but the weeds are all around it and ended up taking, stealing from it its nutrients, covering it with shade and destroying the crop. And Jesus reveals to us that this can happen in our lives as the seed, the word of God, comes to live in us that also there can be weeds that go around it that ultimately steal from the word in our life. It's things like, and Luke adds a third one. So basically it's, it's, it's the cares, the worries of this life. It's the deceitfulness of wealth. And Luke adds the pleasures of this life. That those things can begin to so consume our hearts, minds, and lives that they push out any time or place for the word of God to live and have priority in our lives. How many of you don't raise your hand because every one of you would have to raise your hand? But go through a week, come to the end of your week, walk into church, buy, uh, scriptures are on the screen, and you realize, I have done this, 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 this in all week. And I haven't even hardly opened the word of God. Come on now, every one of us would have to raise our hand, me included, just to be honest. I've been around everything, I've been dealing with everything, but sometimes it's gotten so busy I realize I haven't spent a lot of time personally in the word. That's the cares, the worries of this life, choking out the word that I desperately need. That's what I need. 
Do I want to be the right person? Do I want to experience the life that God has for me? Do I want to live in this world as he intended and designed? Then I'm going to need the word to direct and energize and refocus my heart and mind to what it's supposed to be. And yet the cares, the worries of this world can so easily consume me that I don't have time for the word. Amen? Yeah. This is what Jesus said in six, chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6. He said that we're not supposed to really worry about what we eat, drink, wear. He said the rest of the world runs headlong after those things. Where's my next house? What's my next car? What's my next vacation? Guess what? I have all of those things. I do all those things. I'm not trying to say these are sinful. But if I get to a place where my life is consumed to the point where my energy is so spent on that that I can't even entertain the word of God in my life, I'm gonna choke it out. It's not gonna live. He said, your heavenly father knows that you need them. What does he say? Seek first the kingdom, his righteousness, and I will make sure that these things are taken care of in your life. That's a bold faith. That is a radical faith. That is a Christian faith. It says, you know what? Above everything else, the primacy of God's word in my life is the most important thing. It says the deceitfulness of wealth. Again, the idea that I will find my purpose, my fulfillment, my satisfaction in what I have or can spend or can attain. That idea creates a fallacy. And what happens is when we believe that, we follow that, with our time, energy, passion, and it chokes out any time that we have for the word of God in our life. This is what 1 Timothy says. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, I feel like there's a word that needs to be said. Because he's going to say the next verse, I didn't put it up there, but he said, for the love of money is the root of all evil, or all kinds of evil. Notice he didn't say having money is the root of all evil. Correct? The love of money. Where is my heart set on? Having money does not mean that you are a sinful person. Thank the Lord, right? But the life that is consumed with the idea that I have to attain to be happy, to be fulfilled, to have purpose, to have meaning, to have significance, that's what chokes out the word. 
If God blesses you with financial gain, well, praise the Lord. I really mean that. But again, it's out of a heart that's like, Lord, I'm yours whether I'm rich or poor. What I am financially does not matter in my relationship with you. And if you choose to take everything I have away tomorrow, I'm still yours. Right? (laughs) Quiet. This is relevant to us, right? We live in the most fast-paced society in the history of the world. So the cares and worries of life is, whoa! And we live in probably the most financially blessed society in the world. So the deceitfulness of wealth is, whoa! It's all around us. Jesus is just telling us, the word must live in your heart. And if these things become your passion, they become what you're consumed with. You will allow them to take priority over my word. I would remind you that James chapter one says this. Do not be a hearer of the word, but also a doer. For those who only hear the word and do not do are like a man looking in the mirror. He deceives himself. And so when God calls us to allow the word to live in our lives, he's saying, listen, hear what I'm saying and follow what I'm saying. There's never been an understanding like know about God in scripture. Big deal. I know about all this thing about God. Knowing God in scripture is always more than just knowing about him. It's knowing him personally. It's taking who he is, what he is, and allowing it to apply, be applied into your life. So he says, listen, reset re, re, re your heart. And he said there's that good soil which produces an abundant crop. This is a promise from the Lord. If you and I will just make ourselves available to the world, and we'll let it live in our heart and life. We'll hear it. We'll follow it. The promise of God is a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. I mean, this is, this is on purpose Jesus uses this kind of language. It's not barely getting by language. It's abundant life. I've lived long enough, and I know people that you would say you're absolutely right. I committed my way unto the Lord. God is blessed. And I am blessed beyond what I even ever imagined. That's what God does. And this is his promise. That in the good soil where the word lives, abundant blessing happens. So my simple point this morning is this. Reset my heart, Lord. The heart's the big deal. How do I do that? I make it available to God's word. And as we begin a new year, as you have a chance to make a self-assessment, as you have a chance to kind of just naturally how we do things, I would just remind you that your heart is the big deal.
And Jesus said, this is what hearts look like. And he gives us this information to help us discern, Lord, you know what? I want to be that good soil that your word lives in and abundant life happens from. Lord, I I see, I, I just, I'm choking it out with the cares of this life. It's gotten too busy. Or I've gotten tricked a little bit into thinking if I just made it to that next pay grade, it's going to fix everything and I'm going to be happy. I love what I think Andy Stanley says. If you're not happy at this pay grade, you're never going to be happy at any pay grade. Happiness does not come from wealth. Or Lord, I just, I'm so inconsistent. I just never really, I just never really committed to you. I like the idea of it. I definitely love the idea that I can be forgiven for my sins. I love the idea that you can help me, all this. But honestly, my life is really, it's kind of impulsive. I kind of live when I'm feeling like I'm okay. But then, uh, you know, Lord, or maybe you'd say today, you know, I'm just, it's all about me. It's me, me, me. He gives us this picture to help us to understand how to get to a heart that is right and it's good. You see, the difference between the good heart is it's absent of all the other things, the other hearts. That's simply what creates the good heart. And his spirit promises to work in our lives, to weed out things, to break up things, to redo our heart so that we're in a position to be good, fertile soil to receive the seed the word of God. Let's stand this morning. I simply want you to do something. This may be a little different for you. Um, but uh, I just thought we need to end this way. And I'm going to invite you as we pray. And we pray that as we start a new year, we once again think about my heart being right, reset. The biggest deal, the biggest thing that needs to happen is I just need to make myself available to the word of God. Make myself available. And so I'm just simply asking you as we pray, as an act of faith, as an act of confession, as an an act of uh, obedience to the Lord, would you just raise your hands with me as we pray? And say, Lord, as we start a new year, I realize the biggest thing, the, most, the heart of the matter is the heart. You've talked about the heart. I want to have a good heart, a heart that's good, has the word of God living in it. That's what I want. And so, Lord, I'm telling you today, help me this year. Maybe not without some bumps and bruises, right? But my intent this year is to make myself available to the word of God. Would you do that with me this morning? Let's pray. Our Father, as we just pause before you and as we leave this place on this last day of 17 and we're gonna start 18, the God who is a God of new beginnings, of new starts, Lord, you're not holding us because maybe we've failed in this area. You just want us to pick up right now. And Lord, we've seen from the word that you proclaim to us 
that the biggest deal is our heart and that the heart is, is renewed, it's restored, it's reset by having your word live in it. And that's what we want to do. That's what we proclaim today, that we want this new year to be a, heart, a year where we make ourselves available to the word of God. Help us, Lord. Encourage us. Show us that if our hearts have been sidetracked and we were represented in a soil we don't want, that you can absolutely change that. You, that's what you are the master of. And you can set us right so that the word can live in us and through us. Lord, we make this confession to you as we begin this new year. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great day. Have a wonderful celebration tonight and a great day tomorrow. Happy New Year.